The Working Artist Project is brought to you by Second Line Arts Collective. Learn how you can support at secondlinearts.org. We're creating a platform for those who are curious. One that tells the story from the artist's perspective. Moments in time, captured from the innovators who are reshaping dance, music, theater, and the visual arts. This is The Working Artist Project. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Working Artist Project. Today is April 11th, 2022, and I hope you all are doing well. Mr. Darren Douglas, how are you? Yo, Greg, I'm good, man. Believe it or not, I'm back in New Jersey, everybody. I was in New Orleans last week, right behind Greg, you know? You can see Greg's butt right behind my head. It was great, man. I had a good time, man. I wouldn't have exactly phrased it like that, but yeah, no, I, I agree with what you're saying after some reflection. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's man. It's always nice having you in town. Let me tell you, it's uh, New Orleans has changed a lot, and it always feels like uh, like it did back in the day when you're in town. Man, you know, remember when we was 22? It was great. Or you was 22. I was probably 20, 24 or 25 or something. <laughs> Some, some good times. Well, I think thankfully for, for us and the rest of the world, we've grown up a little bit. So, yeah, you're right, <laughs> All right, let's get right into it because we got a dope guest I want to tell everybody about. But before we do that, we got we to gotta, we gotta pay all the bills. First of all, this podcast is brought to you by Isotope. You like that voice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's, that's the sponsorship <laughs> voice. So dig it. We have the Sanaa Music Workshop happening June 6th through June 17th. And if you know a young person who's interested in honing their craft as a musician and also polishing up their business skills, send them our way down to New Orleans. Greg, what else you got to tell them about that? Yeah, it's going to be a fantastic camp experience. Uh, it'll be two weeks in starting on June 6th. And we have the fantastic Marquise Hill coming in from Chicago to be our guest artist. Uh, we also have the wonderful Jason Marcellus coming to join us. And as we get closer to camp, we will be announcing some more guest artists who uh, will represent the music industry community here in New Orleans. So again, one of the things that we really wanted to emphasize is uh, not only making these uh, young people wonderful musicians, but we want to give them the exposure and the skills necessary to, to make it in the industry. So we've been, uh, over the last couple of years, we've been bringing in industry professionals, film composers, um, booking agents, managers, and uh, many other people in the fields. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be announcing those as, as we get closer to camp. Yeah, y'all. And just so y'all know, we're one of a kind. We, we're one of the very few, definitely one of the first to do it the way we do it. So uh, check it out at secondlinearts.org. Click on Sanaa Music Workshop. And uh, go ahead and sign up. All right. The business is over. It's time to talk about our guest, Greg. Do you know who this person is? Well, you know, I'm going to tell you anyway. I'm not even going to let you. I'm not even going to let you answer, Greg. No, let me say this. Let me say this. I've, I've been hearing about our guest for a long time. And I believe I did get a chance to. I think I played. We, we played right before her when I was playing with the Swamp Donkeys. This was ages ago. But she's she's always in the forefront of my mind. She's always playing with all my friends up in New York. So I'm excited to get a chance to talk with, with this cat. That's right. So today's guest is um, the one and only Svetlana. She's one of those people who go by one name, you know, like Prince. You know what I'm saying? 
<laughs> Stevie, you know, stuff like that. She, she, to me, I admire her because she is uh, a true visionary and a self-starter, you know? So she's one of the few people that I do know that has a PhD um, and it's not even in music. I'm going to let her tell you all about that a little. It's, it's an organizational management, but we, we can get into that later. And, and maybe that's something that fuels her business sense. She went to the Manhattan School of Music. She also recently started a program called Swing Makes You Sing. And she's teaching um, kids uh, pre-K through 12th grade all over the world uh, about our great music, this music that we call jazz. You know, I like to call it BAM, but some people call it jazz. So without further ado, why don't we welcome the one and only Svetlana to the Working Artist Project. What up, Svetlana? You there? Yay. Hi. How you doing? Good evening. Good evening. I'm glad that I uh, did not forget to unmute myself. <laughs> That's the first. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's rough, man. Like, you know, the, everybody, we, we, we're on Zoom right now for the people who are listening uh, on a podcast later. So we, we do this thing live every Monday night. Uh, via Zoom so we can connect with people around the world. And uh, sometimes folks forget to, un- I, most of the time I forget to hit my unmute, but you know what I'm saying? I'm getting old, Svetlana, you know what I'm saying? I hear you. <laughs> I'm there with you. <laughs> <laughs> so dig it, I want to start, I kind of want to start at the end and then work our way backwards. And I want to start with Swing Makes You Sing because I feel like that's the most recent project that you're working on. And it's a similar space that that we work on with our program, um, Little Stompers. And we do some of the same stuff, you know, and we we raise money some of the same ways. And a lot of times you'll be sending me grants and this and that, sign up for this. These people want to give you money. What what kind of inspired you to step into the music education space after being a performer for so long? It's you. Hey. <laughs> All right. Well, the story goes like that. You know, a bird drops on your lap and hopefully it's a bird and not bird drops. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> and you kind of pick it up. Um, I remember that conversation you and I had during the pandemic when uh, uh, this organization, Midori and Friends, um, approached artists um, and it sounds really grandiose, but really was a, a really amazing, fantastic friend who said, hey, you know, I have this opportunity for musicians uh, to present, you know, educational projects. And um, it was one of those things you and I talked and you said, hey, you know, throughout the history for all the peoples, all the ages, there were challenges. And some people persevered due to ingenuity and innovation and quick thinking and or running really fast, you know? So which one are you good at? And, um, you know, you did inspire me and encourage me because I didn't even know how to use Zoom at that point, to be frank. And I'm pretty technology savvy. But it was just not something that I've ever got myself into. And, you know, when we were touring or doing performances here in the city, we always tried to do informal kind of um, education. But when that opportunity came along, it was a matter of, you know, productizing it really and packaging it and making it into something that was sellable that was a product as opposed to, hey, 
you know, I have those skills and I have those ideas. Um, and it was basically, I asked, so when do we start? I was told, you know, in a month, kind of in a, in a nutshell. And I sat down and taught myself some video editing skills and went out and had guys record a lot of iPhone videos. I told them exactly what to do. I remember one of the artists who I adore sent me like a half hour video. And I said, well, actually, I meant three, not 30 minutes, you know, and we were in business. So from that point on, I was kind of realizing that, you know, it really did change kids' days for the better. I have my own children who were staring at the screen, you know, the whole day and trying to share the knowledge, but also, frankly, share the joy because that's I'm really, really fucked for kids. And then hopefully kind of slowly starting to come to realization that we can move it forward in other ways and be that through grants or live presentations or other type of opportunities. Would you mind um, kind of digging into maybe what a class looks like in your organization and like what, what it is exactly that you are trying to share with the young people? Mm -hmm. Um, From the very beginning, I mean, I do have a, pretty uh, uh, extensive background in education. And one thing outside of music, um, I my first degree is actually in teaching mathematics. So I was a math teacher for a little bit in, in high school. And, but then I also have a pretty extensive background in informal kind of cultural education, again, outside of music. So when we talk about teaching, usually we kind of, there are three outcomes we look at, and that's knowledge, attitudes, and behaviors, right? And so when it comes to knowledge, like, can we really teach in that short time, you know, like in-depth musical concept with this program? Or can we take a couple concepts and just like keep repeating them in different ways and hoping it sticks? Yes. Then there's attitudes. And that's really, for me, was at least for that first duration of the program, the main learning outcome, if you will. And that is kids coming out saying, I like jazz, you know, and also feeling uplifted. Um, so that was the other kind of, you know, goal. And behaviors are usually the, the hardest thing to, you know, to hit, like usually if you're teaching a, you know, a, you know, instrumental lesson, maybe it could be that a kid practices, you know, or they know how to do a certain thing. So that's really not something we were hoping to address. So with that, I really kind of picked a, the lowest hanging fruit and just created content that was sort of overview of jazz and was something that. I have taught, you know, uh, in, in schools before, uh, or as when I was a Manhattan school of music school, they, you know, we went out to public schools. So we just kind of take three ingredients of jazz, like a, you know, that's a pot and there's a, you know, your blues, your swing, right. Your improvisation. And we talk about the origins of jazz and new Orleans. Uh, and then another thing, because my band, has played a lot for dancers, I thought it would be cool to introduce movement as a core part of the program as well. 
So I've um, enlisted, uh, you know, tap dancers and swing dancers kind of teach kids the moves, but really it was not to teach the moves, but have the kids get up and move and get the adrenaline, you know, going and, and kind of come out happier from this 40 minutes in front of the screen. So this kind of in a nutshell, what the program is about today, but, you know, with more funding and more opportunities, hoping to develop other modules, you know, but that's kind of the thing. I love what you said too. It's like we, it, part of the classroom experience is bringing joy and, yeah. and, um, Sometimes as a serious musician, I forget about that in the classroom. So I'm so, I'm so anxious about, you know, I want to teach you all about Louis Armstrong, but, but it is, it is truly one of the most important aspects of creating these, these types of educational outreach opportunities is mm-hmm. remembering that the kids are in school and they want to have fun. <laughs> they want right. to talk to their friends. They want to learn about things and, and they just want to, you know, they don't want it to be math class or science class. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I always tell cats who who work with us, the number one thing is fun. You know, especially right. the younger kids. It's like, if it's high school, okay, yeah, we're going to have fun. We're going to also learn a lot. But if it's like first graders, like, let's just, it's, I'm okay if we just dance all day and they remember one thing, Louis Armstrong. Yeah, to me, that's, yep. that's a success, you know? Um, I'm curious. I just want to ask you a question, and I want you to answer this as uh, humbly as possible. Uh, are you a genius? No. Oh my God. Oh my God. You're well, kidding me. I'm just saying, you know, for somebody to, to get a degree in mathematics and then you went to school from, got a master's in music, right? And then a PhD in organizational management, that just seems like you were just like interested in, in, in a wide array. And don't forget topics. the degree that brought me here to the US, which was master's degree in nonprofit management. Oh, see? Wow. See what I'm saying? Oh. <laughs> You're not bullshitting. We need to hire you. <laughs> so we'll bring it in. <laughs> that's that's what I mean. Like how 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 come? Yeah. How why? <laughs> I think honestly, I it's just how my life turned out, as opposed to some grand plan that I had, and there are advantages to that path and disadvantages. I mean, uh, I think since I was little, really, what I was drawn to a lot was art in all its expression visual art first very much so um i think when you look at yourself or now i look at my kids and i see what really lights up your spirit um it's kind of what you loved doing as a kid right and i was making art for hours i mean you couldn't have you know i i was getting little, you know, uh, sticks and making dolls from it and making doll houses out of matchboxes, like really miniature, tiny crafts and drawing and stuff like that. Um, and then when music came into play, I really enjoyed and really was drawn and could practice forever, not in a traditional way, but like learn songs and listen to a line by Ella I didn't know anything about jazz, but just loved it so much and like trying to emulate it and repeat it. Um, But my life took me in a different way. You know, uh, my parents are, my father was born during the Second World War, right? So my, his, their parents went through real starvation, like a real hardship of real, real, real war. So for them, 
they had this core, you know, protective thing about you really got to do something. Believe it or not, my parents were telling me as I was growing up, the reason you need to learn the piano is because when the war starts, right, everybody's going to be sent to the front line and you could sit back and teach kids, you know, piano. And so that was the context in which the art was allowed as this other ammunition. But really, you have to go and do something useful because everybody else is going to be thrown off, you know, overboard. So that's, I chose math because I think music and math mindsets are related. You know, it is a system, you know, of 12 tones and Mm -hmm. there's logic to it. So I loved math. I was really good at it. So I was like, okay, fine. I'll go study math. And I loved the social aspect and I'll study teaching. Um, But then Russia, it was, we were kind of all lost when we graduated. Russia was going through a huge change. Soviet Union fell apart. Um, I went and became a school teacher, but the educational system was also falling apart. A lot of it was old, kind of very, authoritarian controlling style of teaching and for a young person that has already started to taste kind of the new freedoms it was difficult to be part of that system so I kind of fell into the world of nonprofits back there in a cultural nonprofits kind of organizing cultural events activities and then an opportunity presented itself to come here because U.S. was trying it's part of cultural diplomacy right uh, U.S. was bringing people here, giving people degrees with a hope of sending them back to build open societies, mm. democratic societies. Well, look how well that turned out. And um, they, you know, I came here a very young person. I came all by myself. I landed in East Village. Okay. I was going to the new school, getting my degree in nonprofit management. There's just no way that I would go home. I just fell in love with the city. The art was all around me. Music was all around me. And I was getting this degree that was so easy, you know, after getting my math degree. And I was able to stay. Um, And then, again, I was at this point in life. I didn't know what to do next. I was like, okay, I'll go do more school. And Columbia University accepted me in a doctoral degree program. And I kind of like went with the flow. So uh, that's kind of that story. But when I came back years later to being a musician, at some point I realized that it was not enough to learn on the gigs, you know, and I wanted to do more than being a, a singer, you know, in front of the band and kind of, I don't know exactly what it was, but what possessed me, it was really the hardest thing ever, you know, in some ways I'm still recovering. But um, I went back and got another degree, really with the point of trying to learn some basics and fundamentals really, really fast. You know? I think it's so interesting that um, you have these areas of expertise in so many different areas <laughs> of life. And you also seem to have um, a lot of patience because, uh, you know, learning all those things, especially as we get older to, at least just from my perspective, and I'm, I'm sure you, you could probably enlighten me to, to what your experience was like, but you know, it's, I'm, I'm 35 now and the mm-hmm. thought of going back to school and learning something new, I, I kind of terrifies mm-hmm. me. And, um, 
and I'm just wondering, like, how how do you stay uh, enthusiastic about challenging yourself in new ways? And mm. like, uh, how, how did like again, like, do you feel like you have a specific talent or gift that maybe manifests mm. all of these different challenges and experiences that you've been through? Well, thanks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um. I don't know. I'm a dreamer. Mm. I I think things up and then kind of pursue them with inhuman strength. I, you know, even staying here, for example, was a near impossible task. Um, and I just really, really wanted it. And I, I saw myself here. I really felt like I fit here so much more than I fit back home in some ways. And I just invented a legitimate way to, to say, to stay. And so in a similar way, I, I went to uh, take a, a class at this uh, institution in New York called the New York Jazz Academy. It's sort of like amateur jazz, you know, program, uh, and I was working as a management consultant by day and I started taking those classes, uh, there like improvisation with this guitar player, Tom Dempsey and, um, you know, uh, other, other things. And, um, I took a lesson with Carolyn Leonard, um, and it was a master class. She's a, a daughter of, uh, Jay Leonard, the bass player. And I saw all these people in that class who were significantly older than me. And they, they were amateurs, you know? And I just got this, I saw myself in them as a potential path of life, that there's something that I desire so much, but I'm not able to do well. And I don't know, I just experienced this kind of out-of-body experience almost like a, a fear of death. <laughs> like I didn't, I wanted to really pursue this. It was uh, a turning point for me. And that desire, I guess, fueled my energy around finding gigs, like, you know, driving three hours to make no money to only lose hundred dollars, you know, and, and just continuing, um, you know, pursuing different degrees and whatever else. So um, I don't know. It's it's dreaming something up and kind of wanting it very much and finding a way to, to make it happen. I, I like. I, sorry, Greg. I was just gonna say that I, I like what you said before. It's like you 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 embody this 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 the sense of uh, purpose of like with inhuman strength. And to, to me, like, like, you know, we have these, these set of values uh, here at Second Line Arts Collective. And mm -hmm. one of them is um, perseverance. And mm. I have yet to meet a person who has attained any level of success that hadn't mastered perseverance. Yeah. And it sounds like you draw that from your great, from your grandparents, your, your parents' parents, right? Where they went through this this war and they assumed that there would be another war. And it seems like there just might be another one. And I kind of also want to get your opinion on that. Oh, God. As, I mean, you know, as a, as a, as a Russian yeah. expat, you know, that's your home country. I'm just curious, like, how does it feel? How does that feel to see what is in my opinion, 
uh, mm-hmm. one of the worst atrocities that has you know happened to 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 the world as I'm living and breathing. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, other than America doing the same shit in the Middle East, like mm-hmm. what? How does that feel? Because as America, as an American, I'll tell you this: watching this stuff in the Middle East, we were I felt brainwashed to be like, okay, cool, that's over there. That has nothing yeah. to do with me. Yeah, right. I'm just curious if that's the same feeling. Do you feel that that's the same thing that's happening with Russians as we switch gears to to no, that's fine. Here. Yeah. Well, first of all, you have to understand my perspective. To get into the uh, detail, I am a refugee myself. So the way I was able to stay here was to request a status of an asylee. And that is because I, my background is Jewish and Jewish people were not treated in a friendly way. Um, and that was not really based on religion, but really more on heritage. So whether you call it ethnicity or race, or I know it's a completely different meaning than it would be in the U.S., but it had nothing to do with your religious beliefs. It was more really based on a, you know, gene test, if you will. And so, or on your face and looking very, very different from people around you. So I, me and most of the people of Russian heritage that you would meet here would have been refugees from Russia. So for me to look back right now, today, and to see the atrocities, and it's 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 beyond painful, but also I can just say, I mean, that's what a lot of that's what the state has been doing to a lot of peoples, you know, for centuries. So, I. Uh, I don't know how else to say it. It's hor- it's it's horrible because in, it's it's ridiculous because in many ways this people, the Ukrainian people and Russian people, their faith over centuries is so overlapped. The language is so much almost the same. You know, it's both Orthodox Christian, you know, nations, though Ukrainian, you know, a part of Ukrainian population. Um is a you know Ukrainian Catholic, so I don't know what to say. It's it feels I feel very connected to it. Not to mention that I have friends and family in the Ukraine. You know, I have family that is writing to me from the bunkers, and men are not allowed to leave, and therefore wives and children. Some of them are choosing to stay. I mean, I do feel that this war is happening to me. You know, and I of course have family that is still in Moscow and most people that I know don't support the war, but it's like we're back in the thirties where any sort of dissent is harshly persecuted. So I look at the news too much, you know, but I also can't not look. One friend told me, you know, I suggest turn off the TV, you know, or the news or whatever, uh, the channels where you're getting this news. But I feel like I can't because I can miss the possibility of knowing how I can help. And, you know, in addition to money and different resources, I do feel that I must 
I have to share information with people because I don't think there's very good understanding here about the nature of this war and it will come here in some way. I mean, look at your gas pump. pump. It's already here. Like you're paying a dollar or dollar fifty more for, for gas. But it, besides from economic impact, it will have other impact on our lives. So I don't know. I mean, it's a giant topic. So I apologize if I'm not, you know, as concise as when I'm talking about. Uh, totally cool. It's, it's definitely a, a giant topic. One thing, and I'll let Greg chime in on this, but that I was thinking was just how your education was freedom. And a lot mm-hmm. of times people in America think about economic freedom. You know, the more education you get, you're, you're going to have some, you can move up uh, class wise, mm-hmm. but uh, yours was, in my opinion, seems like literal freedom. Like you were able to escape Mm -hmm. a bad situation or a situation that you were like, wait, this might get worse for me later or something, you know? For me and for my kids and for, you know, once I stepped, I remember the day I stepped through the gate of JFK. It was a beautiful August day. It was August 22. And autumn in New York is just, you know, the best and it lasts forever. You know, in Moscow, and I like Moscow, I love Moscow as a town, like, but autumn in Moscow is like three days and then it's cold and, and, and raining. And I walked in through the doors of JFK, that automatic glass doors, they opened and I landed in this village and everybody was weird and nobody cared. And this idea that you can be different and it's okay. It's like a ton of bricks was lifted from my chest. Now, especially being a jazz musician and especially learning more about the history of this country, as the years were passing by, I have learned and got to appreciate, again, especially in the context of the music that we're playing, that it's not like that for everyone. And what it takes for this country to kind of find its consciousness. But what I'm trying to say that for me personally, there was no question that freedom is here for me and not there, you know? How do you think um, your upbringing in Russia and maybe Mm -hmm. your closeness to those experiences with life and death and, and maybe like, again, economic crisis and things of that, um, that seems to be a unique experience that a lot of Americans, I mean, I, I'm sure there are a lot of people who do experience that on a day-to-day basis, but I don't think the the majority story or the American story is, is very attached with that, at least in the last 50 or so years. How, how has, how have those experiences influenced like the way you see America and the way you walk through society here? And, and do you feel, um, like, yeah, how has that benefited you or has it? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. I mean, I think growing up without like being too heavy on the sob story, you know, um, look, there was a, just a generational trauma that was carried. My grandmother was the one of two girls who was accepted in this 
a gymnasium, like a, a, a school for girls in her town of Jewish descent. In other words, only two Jewish girls were allowed. Okay, so there was a quota, right? So she had to pass all the exams better than all her Jewish friends, right? And be on top to get this one of two spot, okay? And that's a story that I knew, right? And then, of course, my grandfather, you know, telling us the stories of pogroms, which is, you know, people descending on their little Jewish village and just like indiscriminately killing raping and was an infant, you know, and barely survived, right? Because he was crying and like, they were like, should we suffocate him or will he shut up? Okay, he shut up. So, and then of course the second world war, which is when they became young people and my grandma giving birth in a barn, you know, uh, in evacuation, when they moved all the people out of big cities, they were in Moscow by then. Um, and then being a five-year-old girl, and we had a little shack outside the city called Dacha. And Dacha is this like like a little country house. Or when you say country house, don't imagine like imagine like a little no running water. But we loved it. We could come out in the summers. And as we are leaving and kind of closing for the winter, my grandma drinking milk. And she said, until she finishes this jug of milk, like this size, she can't go because she experienced hunger. She almost died of hunger at some point. And I grew up carefree and happy, but those experiences were all around me or, you know, my brother not being accepted to university of his choice because he was Jewish. So you can't blame me for wanting to get the hell out of there. But also I think it does. I mean, all of those stories are stories of survival. Uh, my grandma lost so much weight. She was like a plump, pretty lady before the war. And she lost so much weight during the war that when her husband came back from the war, having not seen her for five years, he, he was like, hey, young lady. Have you seen my wife by the name of Esther? It's like, dude, that's me. <laughs> um, so I think it creates sort of a layer of survivalism, you know, that even though I have not experienced those things, I certainly experienced harassment. I certainly experienced, you know, needing to do the best of everybody else in the class to get the same, you know. Um, and I think coming over here and feeling some of this stress physically, like you don't know certain stresses until they lift up, uh, but also having this, you know, survivalist ability to just push and push and change and adjust as things fly your way. Um, I think the downside is that it's tiring, you know, and that there's a cost to it, but. You know, I think in a society like America, where being a go-getter and working really, really hard and like, you know, in the world, words of great Darian Douglas, the ingenuity and perseverance, you know, um, it just, we all came prepackaged with that. That served me and people like me well, you know, coming over here. That's why you see a lot of um, 
people, you know, a lot of people of Russian Jewish background who came over in the same or similar way succeeding here because in a way the system is built for us. And then you learn that system is not built like that for everyone. And that's a whole other reckoning to go through, you know? Absolutely. I, I was going to say, you know, this, this is, I'm having a great time. I don't know how y'all feeling, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm enjoying this because we're uncovering your story hmm. or some, you know, your history or your history and in, in, in a way that highlights why you are a self-starter and why you do persevere until you get to the final goal. And, and it resonates with me because I have a different story, but similar in some ways of people just, you know, no, not having running water, but fucking going to college. Like that's crazy. You, you know what I'm saying? In America. So like, like that resonates with me in, in such a heavy way. And I feel like, like I've known you for years, but now I feel like we're getting even closer now because I'm like, okay, I understand. I understand why, why you're relentless and why you're just like, I, because when you have a history of people who have to go through these types of things, you, you, you can't quit because you like, they, they didn't go through that shit for me to have a bad day and cry in a corner. You, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. well, how would my grandmother feel if she just saw me quit because somebody said no, <laughs> you know, or for me to like halfway try? So you can't, you can't do that. So it's it's a beautiful thing to see that from you, and to to understand your story a little bit better. I do think you're a genius, though. I, and and oh, uh, oh. No. I'm I'm so not, you know, growing up, the genius was my brother. He was like the guy who, with photographic memory, just math galore and you know he went on to have a life of a genius so I was this like wildflower nobody bothered me which I think you know also had uh impact on me being you know developing this creativity and making stuff from sticks and matches and creating this like imaginary world so it's interesting it's an interesting implication for now being a parent like how much you control and how much you just let go and hopefully kids are able to just be creative and, and, you know, enjoy themselves. But yeah, thanks. <laughs> I was going to say too, as, as you were re- recounting the story of, of your experience in, in, in Russia and your grandparents, you know, my, my, uh, my family was a Jewish Polish family and yeah. the same thing around the same time. They moved to France because of, you know, the, the persecution that was happening in mm-hmm. Poland. And we changed our last name to Ajid and mm-hmm. and actually like ceased being Jewish at that point. And it's funny because just hearing both my parents are from Europe and I'm, I'm first generation American. But yeah, the, the word survival like really resonated with me, too, because I think a lot of times like as Americans, <clears throat> we forget that a, a lot of like our parents grew up in post-war, post-war, World War II Europe. And that was a very hard time for everyone out there. And mm-hmm. um, that, that led to, you know, a, a strong sense of, you know, like resilience in, that, in, those, in those people. And, um, you know, I, I commend you too, because I think the, um, not everyone has translated that into, opportunity maybe like i I, because i I can kind of see it into my like my family too just the 
it's it's a little bit more challenging to get out of the survival mindset i think is mm. kind of where where i'm coming from with that and um being in a place like america that doesn't have that story but you still have that that generational trauma and story um with us so it's 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 it is a challenge to get through that stuff but but it ultimately does you know we have to, every every uh what is it the the light comes in through the wound or the what is it, this yeah. quote like that but I guess those those experiences are the things that hopefully can turn into opportunity for all of us. Um, but maybe it would be cool to transition a little bit into more of the musical side of of your life. And you know, I think something that's like been very impressive for me down here in New Orleans is that I've been hearing your name on a consistent basis for the last ten years or so. And oh no, <laughs> no, it, it's, it, no it's it's even even in New Orleans, it's it's been yeah. I, I've known about you for a long time through through my friends, but also mm. I know that you do a lot of uh, touring and you do a, a great job of um, getting your name out there. And so, in, in hearing this story, it makes a lot of sense as to how you know you've had all these different experiences that have all contributed and come together to like helping you um create this jazz career this career as a vocalist and uh mm -hmm. maybe i was wondering if you could speak a little bit about like how again like maybe like what inspired you to pursue music as a, as a profession mm -hmm. not only as a, a hobby and also how these little the, all these random things have contributed to like getting the career going mm. I think, you know, I'd be lying again if I had, if I said that I had a master plan, you know, um, and I think it's just the little pieces of mosaic, you know, that just, and luck, you know, and being there with ready when the luck, you know, shakes your hand. Um, again, if I look back to, it goes back to the same thing. I think I was just what really lit me up in a way that I could, you know, I had goosebumps, I could experience physically was art and making art. Even when I'm on tour, uh, it's gonna sound extremely pretentious, but you know, I always like get out and see visual art and and like try to engage with art in other way, like in a museum, whatever, local Columbia Museum of Modern Art or whatever. And it it always fed me in a different way throughout even when i was pursuing my math degree okay i was in a choir and i was in a theater group and i was singing like i would go through my eight hours of math and then do another four or five hours of creative stuff right um and i was always known as a girl who sings okay like it was never on a back burner and when i finally so even when I came here immediately, I sought out uh, Janet Lawson, um, who was a, a, a vocal uh, teacher at the new school and this other, um, you know, jazz vocalist. And I was taking lessons all throughout. And then I, you know, met this musician and we were doing little shows, um, even as I was traveling the country doing management consulting. So I just, like I said, taking that, class with Carolyn Leonard and just more so seeing the people who made a different choice just scared me so much that I felt again just in my body this jolt like it's now or never like I have to either try this uh and once I decided 
someone asked me at that time, when you think of yourself as in 10 years from now, and you think of yourself sitting at a desk as a consultant, what does this fill you with now that you've discovered again that, that you would like to pursue music? Alternatively, how do you feel seeing yourself doing the music? And just the answer was very clear, you know, dread, you know, extreme joy. So I kind of went with the joy. And uh, once I decided, kind of, it didn't become easy, but I was like, oh, gigs are all around me. I could really literally play in New York every day of the week. Like the opportunities, my professionalism and my, you know, that I could follow up with things and put an email together and put all this to ser in service of my passion. It all came together. You know, I continued taking lessons um, with uh, Tom Dempsey in improvisation, with J.D. Walter in, in vocals and improvisation, and then, you know, went to school. So I think, I don't know if that answers your question, but it all came from just really wanting it, you know, and just the life pieces coming together had you, uh, had you, to support Had it. you dug into like improvisation before living in New York or was that something new to you? I did because after I finished my math degree, I literally went ahead and <laughs> started another degree, uh, which was in, there was a small independent school. I know it's so sick how I like being in school. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> I mean, I think not, I just wanted to be close to music in any way I could. And I knew how, you know. It was not like there were jazz clubs in every corner in Moscow, but I knew there was a program where like jazz musicians hung out and taught other jazz musicians. So I entered the program. It was Moscow College of Improvised Music, which is uh, which was like a not accredited kind of associate degree. I didn't care about degree, but I went maybe two, three times, two nights, three nights a week. Uh, and yeah, I studied jazz history, improvisation, you know, learned solos. It was very light kind of education, but it definitely progressed me further in the knowledge of music. And, you know, I did have my classical piano for seven years. So it was translating some of those concepts into jazz theory and things like that. I want to ask you one more question before we get out of here. And this might take us down a rabbit hole, but. Oh, <laughs> I hope it does. <laughs> if you could, as an academic, if you yeah. could change one thing in jazz education. Oh, God. For the, for the better. Uh, and I'm talking about higher learning here. What, what, do you, mm -hmm. what would it be? Okay. Um, nobody knows how to teach vocalists. And I think I... I mean, I don't, I'm not an arrogant person, but when I know, I know. <laughs> and I will tell you, you know, my experience being at Manhattan School of Music was horrible. Okay. It started from the fact that I was really not prepared, you know, like other kids who just graduated, like this little geniuses who just came from, you know, little Emmett Cohen's and Benny Benax and, you know, I don't know, Mercedes Beckman's Mercedes went on to be in an army band, like she was five, but played like a devil. Um, uh, but 
they really didn't know what to do with vocalists. And they kind of just threw different things at us. But for me, I can only talk about what I've experienced. They were just so arrogant. You know, they were like, we pride ourselves in treating vocalists like instrumentalists. But they didn't, you know. I think the best thing to do, at least for me, would have been, and kind of why I came to school, in addition to classes like arranging with Jim McNeely, who was brilliant and such a kind and generous city theater, or Phil Markovitz, you know, styles of jazz also. It's actually immersing vocalists in the bands of all kinds and really, really having this intense experience like Ellis Gerald, she didn't go to school, she learned on the road. So create this compressed experience that is not really self-guided in that, yeah, you know, you could have gotten to jam sessions, but very intense playing. It's like when we graduated, Curtis, and I were joking, okay, now let's go relearn how to play our instrument because we're doing homework for two years. Uh, way too much homework, very little playing. And also, I, uh, I would say that uh, a friend of mine asked me, so who are the faculty, the vocal faculty? And I, at that time, the people who were at MSAM, I listed them and they asked me, are there any actual jazz singers? that teach you know they were artists very contemporary singers uh but somehow it was assumed that people know how to swing that people understand you know the history and the tradition and can translate it into the modern language but there was not a real jazz singer to actually guide the very genre that we were getting the degree in, which was jazz. You know, it was not contemporary music degree. It was a jazz degree. Um, so I would say this separation of, you know, via the lack of faculty of, you know, the actual jazz from the jazz education, which is what I have experienced, the lack of opportunity to actually play a lot a lot, not, oh my God, I have a semester and concert, but on a daily basis. And, um, you know, uh, lack of uh, understanding of what it takes to, to have a jazz vocalist um, that is educated in a master's degree. Um, I guess these are the things that come to mind. The last thing I would say is also lack of business, music business education um, as part of you know, uh, that degree. I, I did not necessarily feel like I missed out because I had an idea, but, you know, basic things like royalties and, you know, how you publish that part. I had to learn, you know, how do you release a record? Those things are just not even present. And God forbid uh, musicians have any business acumen and start negotiating their rates and Sonic contracts. God forbid. <laughs> yeah, God we're forbid. all little small businesses, but there's no. It was very much geared. It felt like there were, you know, an elite few, and the the rest of the program. You know, it was like they're gonna go on to be 
musicians and artists. And so therefore we're gonna teach the rest of you the same way. But the reality is it's not like that. And the rest of us, you know, we, we run the small businesses, us being our business. And the fact that there was no business education as part of the degree, that seems bizarre. So. Um, I agree. I agree too. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a tough thing. Cause it's again, like, you know, I, I'm sure as we all, we can all agree that learning music is, takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and is, you know, it just takes time. That's it. But at the same time, it's like, what are you going to do if you can play music and you don't know what to do with it and how to make money and how to pay rent with it. Mm-hmm. And those, those, both those things go hand in hand and, you know, hopefully. Yeah, it didn't have to be a big part. It had to be a part, you know? Right. No, I'm with it, Svetlana. You got about 10 degrees. We could have at least took one business class in music school. That's, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? It wouldn't took up too much time. Look, hey, we got, we got, we got to go though. We got to wrap it up. But before we do, I want to mm. give you an opportunity to tell all the people where they can sign up for, uh, for your, your marketing classes, your branding classes. Where oh can, gosh. <laughs> where they can buy your CD and generally connect with you on the interwebs? Well, uh, the reason I dropped my last name in artistic realm, which is maybe a mistake because there's Svetlana is probably the most popular name, Russian name, right? Um, is because nobody can spell or remember my last name. So Svetlana Jazz is my social, you know, Instagram, Facebook stuff. And SvetlanaJazz.com is my website where you can buy everything anything you want if you go into projects you can see different things i'm doing if you go into shop go there first buy stuff there (laughs) or just be a sucker who streams and you know pays nothing (laughs) so no judgment though yes judgment don't be a sucker y'all go make sure you don't stream it you know what I'm saying? Well, you can stream it, but also go to Bandcamp and buy it and uh, go to the... I know, but you know what? It used to be even three, four years ago. Like you go to a concert, you play a concert in Florida. There are folks there who are like retirement communities. They line up to buy a CD. And now they're like, no, no, no. We Are you on iTunes? Like, what? They up too. Yeah. Yeah. Old people got hip. That means something new is around the pike. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. All right, y'all. This is Svetlana. Thank you so much for coming on the Working Artist Project. That was super fun. Yeah. My main goal achieved. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. It was, it was a, a true pleasure to, to get to sit down and, and listen to your story and, and get to hang with you for a little bit. Thank you, Greg. All right, y'all. My name is Darian Douglas. And I'm Gregory Ajayi. We'll catch y'all later. Peace. <laughs>